You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 428, Breakfast Radio. Is it the Titanic of broadcasting? Why don't we use mobile phones to make, uh, well, phone calls? And what's the deal with Danny Dyer? That's all coming up after the look and I am the beat. Another in our mini-series of one-hit wonders, very possibly the most earwormy song ever written. We'll all be singing, I'm in demand, I am the beat, uh, for the rest of the day. Number six in the UK in 1981, The Look and I Am The Beat. That is incredibly earwormy, isn't it? I'd never heard that before, and now I feel like I've known it my whole life. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> also enjoyed the video that you sent to me on this, and yes. I particularly your observation that the bass player looked like Gareth Bale. He really yes. does. 
<laughs> and the drummer very, very uh, much enjoying <laughs> his moment in front of the camera. Every time the camera pans to him, big yeah. cheesy grin. Uh, uh, he, yeah. he was very clearly very excited that a drummer got a got a shot, wasn't he? Really, because that doesn't usually happen. It reminds me slightly of a video that I often share that comes from YouTube. I think I first came across it in an article about an interview with Electrolane, and they were asked various things, and they asked they Verity Susman, the singer, apparently got very into single instrument orchestras, which is why one of my YouTube favourites is a, an accordion orchestra of Scottish teenagers from about 2009. They're probably all, you know, they've probably all got mortgages now, playing um, the final countdown arranged for an accordion orchestra. And there appears to be someone slightly over-enthusiastic, either dad or older brother on the drums. And there's a, he gets a solo about sort of three minutes in and he does this kind of needless sort of kind of an epic drum kind of multi-drum solo and you can see the kids in the front row trying desperately to stifle grins as they continue to play the final countdown on accordion so yeah i'm very much here for over enthusiastic limelight hogging drummers every day of the week Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 428. I'm Terence Stackham and we're recording this late on a Sunday evening because of the hedonistic weekend once again enjoyed by Juliet Harris. Indeed, yes. In a, in a, in a B&B in Brighton we were and we had a lovely time at the glamorous environ, although they were incredibly pleasant, I must say, of the uh, Trades and Labour Club in Brighton on Lewis Road celebrating a joint 50th birthday of university professors who it turns out really love disco and 80s pop. So uh, so yeah, we had, a, we had a grand old time. So thank you very much for belated me having me this week. Mm-hmm. Well, now tension mounts as it's time for our astronomically <laughs> popular opening feature spot the singer and, i mean it's a cult but it's a very popular <laughs> cult i think this is episode eight i'm going to play you the listener and you the juliet lucy harris indeed i like uh, i've full named as well as definitive article this week a 30 it's a 30 second clip of the song uh, your task is simple uh, tell me who it is no shazamming and no sound hounding back in 1985 sophia george had a top 10 hit with her cheery girly girly but mm. who is this one of the biggest name singers and bands in the world giving it a go with the old reggae beats in 2011 I've got an inkling you may get this. I don't know. Something tells me you may know that one. I I'm not sure I do actually. It's um it's it's a very odd. It's sort of um. It, it, I think I might know the singer actually because I think it sounds slightly like her. Um, I think it's not the first time this song singer has strayed into sort of cod reggae pop. Oh, you're on is, the right tracks. Is it Debbie Harry? It is Debbie Harry. It's it fr- might be. It just from sounded an, slightly like her. From an album released in 2011, it didn't trouble the charts. The album Panic of Girls, uh, Debbie Harry and Blondie and Girly Girly, and it's regularly featured. This is where I found it in lists of the worst reggae covers of all time. But I, th- I thought it was okay. I thought it was a spirited I was attempt. I worse, actually. I mean, I 
I just don't think the song is great, really. I got I got to be honest. It's it's not um. It, there, there are other songs um, that that um, I'm just trying to remember what it's called. I'm looking it up. But that, there are other sort of reggae kind of kind of hits which I think uh, think are a, a bit better. That that song was it, Bum Bum by somebody that 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 I always oh Bam Bam by Sister Nancy. Oh, it, okay. it sounded like a sort of slightly lesser version of that. Really, that that is a that's worth. I might pick that for a podcast at some point because it is it is worth hearing. But it wasn't awful actually because usually when when you play these to me they are terrible <laughs> almost every single time and it is quite deliberate I suspect. But actually I didn't think that was too bad actually. I've heard worse. It was hardly Mike Reed's reggae record was it it could have been, oh, it could have the, been the, what was it the brexit calypso yeah no exactly i mean I, I was expecting that frankly so so actually you know not not their best but you know equally not not dreadful i don't think now i don't like piling in on people when there's bad news afoot for them so my criticism of the radio 2 breakfast show is meant to be sort of generic and more about poor managerial systems it's nearly a year now since zoe ball took over from chris evans and the stats show that having lost seven hundred and eighty thousand listeners in the second quarter of the year a further three hundred and sixty four thousand have switched off in the third quarter uh, the radar figures were released this week when chris evans left radio two bosses possibly in a panic knew they had to move towards gender balance and mm-hmm. appoint a woman because the whole of daytime radio two was hosted by a series of white late middle-aged blokes but it, it did sound very stale it has it, to be it, it did but what they did was replace a shouty buzzy one of the lads male presenter with a shouty buzzy one of the lads female presenter and i think it's a mistake political parties often make they appoint a new leader best place to fight the last election not mm. future ones and here the same with zoe ball a tired style a lack of imagination minimum preparation outdated zoe balls uh zoe ball jewels simply the wrong choice well you see i i've always had quite a lot of time for zoe ball possibly because she was in in her and maybe this is the problem i remember from her, from her days on radio one when her style was very similar and she was sort of quite famous for you know the time that apparently the night she met norman cook she stayed up all night in ibiza and uh, arrived to do her breakfast show two minutes before it started and was sick during the first record so so that was fine is that a good thing well, that was fine then, because that's what suited the sort of st- style and the times on Radio 1. So that was kind of, you know, it was seen as a sort of a, well, like you say, a one of the lads type thing. Yeah. I've a lot of time for her. And I think she's, I think in the past she's been underrated as a broadcaster because she's got quite a nice, chatty, breezy style. I think the problem is, I think everybody knew, and unfortunately including her, I suspect, that really everybody expected that gig to go to Sarah Cox. She was the obvious successor to Chris Evans because, again, Someone else who gets put in the same shouty bo- ladette box. Well, that's what I was, I was just but, thinking but as soon as you said that. that I thought. But having said that, she has she's she's got a much quietly wryer style, I think. And I wonder if she would have been interesting doing that. I, you know, I really like Zoe Ball and I really rate her and she seems mm. like a very decent person. But mm. I do wonder if that was playing on her mind when she did this gig. I'm completely speculating here. I don't know the circumstances, but I wonder if that's what's playing on her mind and perhaps she's overcompensating slightly. The problem as well is that I don't feel that the format has changed very much. And I think that's 
problem. I think they needed to do more to the format. It does sound a little bit to me like she is hosting someone else's show. And I think that is that is the problem there. You know, they still have the guessing on a Friday. It's good in that you don't have to hear so much about Chris Evans' cars as he's not doing it anymore. It's interesting. And I think that shows that the problem is perhaps with the format rather than with the presenter in that, and perhaps the format of Breakfast Radio generally, that Chris Evans went off to Virgin Radio mm. in his big money move. And it says, despite enormous investment in the programme, this Guardian article, and promotion from other Murdoch-owned publications, his programme's audience has remained flat at 1.1 million. So he didn't take anybody with him. So no. maybe people are bored with that format of that show rather than being necessarily bored with who is presenting it. And I also, this isn't mentioned in this Guardian article, but I wonder, I used to listen to Radio 2 and became completely sick of Chris Evans, the Chris Evans promotional juggernaut, you know, of his own life and mm. actually being the Chris Evans show. And I was just sick of it. And so I switched to four, but then became sick of John Humphreys. I genuinely would have been a Radio 6 listener, but I had real issues with Sean Keaveney's presentation style and mostly the fact that he seemed to mumble, literally mumble on all the time and not ever play any records. Lauren Laverne took over the Six Music Breakfast show at the beginning of the year. And I and lots of people I know have literally never looked back. And I wonder if Radio 6, which continues to do quite well in radar figures, I think, particularly Mm. since it was nearly closed and is now better promoted, I, Lauren Laverne focuses almost solely on music. She is a good presenter, I think, but but mostly because she doesn't get in the way, by and large. She's interest. What she's got to say is interesting and funny, usually, and she has a real connection with her listeners. They're a fantastic feature called House Music, which basically, have you got an appliance in your house or somewhere you go that sounds like the beginning of a song? And some of them have been absolutely fantastic. There was a fridge in Tesco's in Plymouth that sounded like the Smiths and stuff like that. It's mm genuinely really funny and really fun and i wonder if to some extent 300,000 have some of them gone to six i wonder if they might have done because you think well it's good music by someone that gets in the way slightly less so i so yeah. i think that six i think that lauren laverne and six are often undersung and it would be interesting to see because some of us didn't who wanted music in the mornings that wasn't classical music wanted music with voices as, as the columnist stephen bush puts it um maybe we've now found a home in six that some of us didn't have before and Lauren Laverne is you know in some ways not dissimilar to Zoe Ball but she's got a slightly calmer style mm-hmm. and maybe that is maybe that also suits better the, the reflective times that she live in we live in and the thing I like about her is when sort of depressing things have happened in the news like usually Brexit related she often hints at it without actually saying what she's talking about so she'll say oh well you know we're all feeling you know some of us might be feeling like this this morning and I and I think maybe that that suits the times more for some people certainly does for me rather than you know as much as I do like Zoe Ball her sort of wittering on and you know kind of everything's great and all that kind of stuff maybe that was better suited to the roaring 90s at Radio 1 than it is to it is to Radio 2 in this slightly uncertain time I don't know it feels I think it feels that the future for music radio based on personalities and certainly on this bland tired format it seems doomed to me young people are all over youtube or streaming services for their music and i think fewer and fewer young people are interested in radio one certainly radio two i think there's still room to a limited degree for enthusiastic specialists like um 
say um, Pete Pervides on Soho Radio who yes, he does is show. very good actually and to be yeah. fair I think a lot of Six Music's presenting staff are good I think Keris Matthews is excellent at weekends because mm. again she does something quite specialist her show sort of wanders around and does some world music and, and is, is very interesting and also I think podcasts are quite a big thing now as well. And actually, sometimes in the morning, I find myself listening to podcasts in my car and I forget to put six on. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it's it's pretty... Podcasts are very pervasive now, although I do think BBC... We could do another... I think we might have talked about BBC Sounds previously. It is ridiculous that everyone's been forced off, you know, the radio player app to go on to Sounds, even though it clearly wasn't ready when it was released. There is no facility to set a radio alarm. No, why no, it's just terrible. The whole, the whole interface of it is awful. Radio. I know it makes. And the other thing that I really miss, and if anybody happens to be listening, can you put this back, please? Is if you tried to listen live to a say a Radio Six show previously, if you clicked on it, it had before you pressed play, you could see easily a list underneath of the most recent tracks that have yes. been played. So if you were trying to think, oh, what did she just play? And sometimes it will say on the on the digital display what they are playing. Maybe they're banking on that i don't know because of course you can't get six on anything other than other than digital having said that still doesn't it's it, it's similar for beeps sort of radio one or, or radio two that was a really useful feature for me if i was in a hurry just think oh yeah what's that and then of course on on the radio app you could press the thing and actually download it or it would link mm. you up to spotify or itunes and i can't see how to do that on the new thing it's not unduly obvious so i'm sorry this is migrated into a whinge about bbc <laughs> most things do in the conversations i have at home. but i think you're right in that i think rather than thinking that zoe ball is the problem i don't think she's the problem i think that that people i think were not tired of chris chris evans i think the people are the fact that people haven't followed chris evans shows that they were tired of the format of that show and i think that that either that show needs reformatting because you know lauren laverne's sixth show seems to work fine greg james has been doing reasonably well i think at radio one he seems to be he gets good write-ups in places like the guardian for for kind of having a real connection with listeners i think it is possible to build something good but i don't feel they did very much with the format when they got zoe ball in and i think she's been left presenting somebody else's show when there's a general feeling that it perhaps shouldn't have been her anyway so or rather it was going to be someone else so you know i i I think the sarah cox does excellently at drive by the way i thought she i think she's working really well there although i think it's insane that they only give her an hour and a half each night i think that's that's really short changed but um but yeah i i'm i'm happy to defend zoe ball a little bit in this by saying that they should have done more to that show just the bbc are appointing people like we're still in the days of the radio one road show with peter well, powell and yes. bruno brooks and maybe Ra- the problem is is that well and it'd be interesting to see i know that radio one have launched a kind of a, a drive to try and get new presenters in between christmas and new year to try them out and you think actually i really admire that maybe mm. other stations should be following radio one's lead and saying you know i think that's a fantastic thing to say We'll give a week between Christmas and New Year to people with previous presenting experience elsewhere that want to give it a go. And like you say, it does seem like we've talked about this before on the podcast, I think, that it's constant musical chairs between different the same people rotating mm. different jobs. And maybe 
that maybe as well as fresh refreshing the format they need to look at different people new people i mean put it this way you and i were both a little bit sniffy about them putting rylan in on radio two originally mm, it turned oh, out brilliantly and it turns out well as we know as regular listeners know we became big fans of that show so uh so yeah it is possible to it just goes to show that sometimes if you're able to think outside the box a bit it might seem strange at first but you can actually find brilliant people elsewhere coming up next Everyone has a mobile phone. No one makes phone calls. That's right after Primal Scream. We start crying. I know you know I've been lying. We start crying. I know your love for me is dying. There ain't no. I would do to get myself back close to you. Please stop crying. I'm sorry I hurt you. I betrayed you. You trusted me and I betrayed you. Yeah. 
bit of an oddity, this. I know it seems a bit of a, an obscure track for me to pick a, 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 a sort of a, an obscure primal scream B-side from about 1986-1987, but having said that, regular as although that I'm doing this this podcast um, sort of feature of to go with your sort of spot the singer and your your one hit wonders feature I'm also doing this featurette of of songs that sample other songs and uh, people might of course recognize and we'll call it back later the last 30 seconds of that primal scream song from somewhere else um it was it's uh, like I say it's a, a primal scream b-side and that is I'm losing more than I'll ever have I was thinking bands like Primal Screen would never make it today. They had so many false starts and failures and record uh, record company investments and it it didn't work out. And it's great that they stuck to it and found success in the end, uh, though. Um, Absolutely. From 1989 as well, I think, that tune. So a little bit later than I thought it was. But, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Well, when I was a teenager, admittedly a very long time ago, it was (laughs) exciting. (laughs) It was exciting when the phone rang and it was quite common to stay on the phone for literally hours chatting away with friends or a girlfriend. And many parents of that era had the mantra, will you get off that phone? Um, Of course, the phone was the only instant link we had. The only other options were to go go to someone's house and knock on the door (laughs) or write them a letter. Um, um, Incidentally, letter writing is another custom that's gone completely out of fashion i know some of my friends try try to write letters (laughs) and i write letters if i've got something important to say but but yeah it's not so often is it no but of course it's 2019 and we have all technology can provide instant communication with anyone around the world but what has happened in those intervening years this week a report from ofcom shows that a quarter of mobile phone users make less than five calls each month and six percent of all mobile phone users make none at all what has happened jules years ago i would have welcomed five calls a day now i'm one of that six percent who are happy to receive no calls at all what's going on well we have we have more instant ways of communicating with each other now than we used to. Now, as you said, the only way was to knock on the door, write a letter. We can now text people or email people and they can get it almost instantly. And you can say you can put your thoughts in writing in a reasoned way and send them across. Maybe maybe the fact that that we want to be more careful in how we communicate because of course you know we live in this weird fake news world where a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can put its boots on to use the old phrase which i rather like and feels more more accurate as each week rolls by at the moment but it's it, it's interesting i find so i have to use a telephone in my line of work which is, I think, again, as regular as well now, I am a solicitor that, that deals with people buying and selling their houses. Most of my work is residential now. And I do find myself, although I do like email as a communication tool, whenever I have clients that are anxious about things, they would always rather speak to me on the phone almost always which i find interesting and people i think still do if they're possibly receiving bad news or possibly um you know or or want to know what is going on want some reassurance i think usually then uh, if people are unhappy that they haven't heard from us for a while and they want a bit of reassuring people often find a, a connection with a human voice and a person saying things and responding to things and the opportunity to put their own side of things and their own point of view people seem to really welcome that because otherwise writing emails can be incredibly impersonal and also it's so easy 
I think we, again we might have spoken about this previously it's so easy for things to be completely taken out of context for there to be no tone tonal kind of shift no no you know no humor mm. that sort of thing they can often be inadvertently offensive without meaning to be if you see what I mean so yeah. So uh, there are drawbacks to other methods of communications. But having said that, in a world where we seem to be bombarded with information all the time, maybe people feel that they want to retain some control over how they communicate. So being able to put things in, and, and again, as a lawyer, I sometimes feel it's nice to be able to put things, advice to a client in writing, particularly a panicky client, rather than having them ask sort of questions constant scares questions that I was going to answer anyway if you see what I mean mm. it's sometimes it's sometimes it's good to be able to put that out in an email and the clients do find that reassuring and sometimes they just want a human voice on the phone and I completely understand that like you I used to spend hours talking on the phone to my friend who was a teenager and now I only really use the phone for things that are either business or business like so my kind of you know the thing the project that I'm involved in at the moment running a, or starting to run a community library I tend to find there are some people like to be spoken to on the phone mm. so, so it's interesting it's partly a generational thing i think old, old people that are, are tend to be a bit older much prefer being on the te- talking on the telephone they want that level of, of personal communication whereas people younger clients i find particularly are, are just very happy to email because that's how that's how they've they've grown up you know they've never really known anything different so I tend to have more conversations on the phone that are work related when I really haven't got time to text my partner to, and wait for her to respond to see if she wants milk. Sometimes even messaging isn't 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 quick enough. So, you know, although she hates talking on the phone. Mm. So so that's that's not, you know, she she's very much from your point of view on this. And my mum, by and large, are the people that I talk to on the phone. If my landline rings, it's usually because something has happened by and large. So um so yes, like like you, I'm I'm not always a, it depends how tired I am as to whether or not I can be bothered to speak on the phone to be honest. But there are some people, particularly older people, that still find it reassuring, I think. I simply couldn't bear chatting to a friend on the phone for an hour now. I think I've lost the art completely. In I mean, think about what you're saying there. In real life conversation, if there's a pause or a gap, it can feel natural and relaxed. But I've noticed on the phone, people panic in a pause and blurt something mm-hmm. out or fill the gap by repeating what they've just said. But if there's a gap between text messages or emails or WhatsApp or whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, plus, you get a few moments to consider your thoughts in contrast yeah. to that telephone calls put you on the spot there's no time to to think so i mean th- these days i positively groan if my phone rings and again to agree with you these days it's rare for a phone call to contain good news it's almost yeah. always someone from officialdom the man or someone with bad news so yeah i'd be quite happy to stay in that six percent and never make or receive a phone call ever again i think yeah i don't disagree Coming up, what's the deal with Danny Dyer? Um, Now, we we haven't played a track by this man for a couple of years, so let's catch up and hear from the masterful Lewis Taylor.
remember uh, some while ago you and I Jules we each picked our top five albums of all time and this album was one of my top five absolutely beautiful album extraordinarily uh, rejected by his label Island Records when it was recorded in the late 1990s uh, it was eventually re- released through his own label in 2005 appropriately titled The Lost Album the wonderful Lewis Taylor and Send Me an Angel yeah, I love this. I I love Lewis Taylor generally, and actually, it was it was partly the the word massive as they then were on the forums, and partly you that actually made me realise how great Lewis Taylor is actually. I, and I'm very happy that he finally got the payday he deserved from Robbie Williams' cover of Love Light. I I not as interesting as his, and I wish that Lewis Taylor had been rightly more fated than he was. But I'm glad that he has at least managed to get a payday from someone else. Absolutely, um, Danny Dyer. He's one of those people who's always seem to be there, like Tess Daly or Bradley Walsh. Indeed, I had to check and I noted that he was discovered by an agent when he was still at school. And since that first appearance in 1993, when he was 16, he's appeared here, there and everywhere with a seemingly 
golden touch. It's it sees it sees him bounce back immediately from film or TV flops. It's amazing. Mm. In in drama roles, he seems to rather often be cast as a tough guy from the wrong side of the tracks. Well, so, he was in a lot of football hooligan films, although weirdly also a thriller with Julian Anderson. Oh, well, it was, so all of that turned up to be a bit of a surprise uh, to me, Jules, when you told me that you've got a soft spot for Danny Dyer. I know. I used to, I used to absolutely, I used to just find him so tedious. And a very laddie but very nice friend of mine lent me his autobiography. And I have to say, I did quite secretly quite enjoy it. And I, I do have a little bit of a soft spot for Danny Dyer. In the same way that I have a little bit of a soft spot for Bradley Walsh, actually. Interesting yeah. you should you should, uh, you should, should say that. I remember talking to my friend once about the possibility of going on the chase. And I said, I would turn up to the chase. Bradley Wiggins Bradley Walsh, not Bradley Wiggins, so that would be a turn up for the books. Bradley Bradley Walsh would uh, would would call me darling and sweetheart, and he mm-hmm. probably would sort of mean it a bit, but not really. And I would fall for it every single time. Yeah. I, I just found out Bradley Walsh that I really like, and also he was very good in a um, murder investigation team in a very and on or either that or you no, know, I think it was Law and Order UK he was in, and he was quite good as a straight yeah. actor in that. With a raincoat, he had a nice raincoat. Yes, he was. Yes, he looked very worried all the time. He was he was very good in that, I think. And actually, Danny Dyer, the thing I like about Danny Dyer is that he is aware of his own limitations and the same way that Jason Statham made a really gave a really interesting and likable interview recently in which he basically said I am never basically going to appear with the Royal Shakespeare Company I'm not a proper actor actor I'm just quite good at doing it and again he does these kind of tough tough guy films stuff like The Transporter where it's sort of like a bit a bit like Speed but with lorry drivers he, he kind of does stuff like that or you know The Bank Job or things like that where he kind of does this again slightly sort of probably more serious than Danny Dyer but this kind of you know sort of enigmatic tough guy although he did send himself up very funnily in Spy with the with the Melissa McCarthy film he's 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 worth watching you know he's very funny but I so I like people like Danny Dyer who you know do things like play play slightly more together versions of themselves in EastEnders for example and I just I like the fact that Danny Dyer is not trying to be something he isn't really and particularly in his new role as a quiz show host on Saturday evenings on primetime BBC One. You have I don't, it's on I this. Mean, I, don't I don't enjoy running down a TV show that clearly has had a lot of effort put into it and that people mm. feel passionate about. Happily, neither of those criteria apply uh, <laughs> to Danny Dyer's latest TV vehicle, The Wall. Such so little faith do the BBC have in the show that there is a version of it on Polish TV. And rather than invest in a set in England, Endemol and the BBC flew everyone over to Warsaw in Poland to use their set for the filming of this frankly dreadful show. It originated in America, where, of course, the cash prizes are much bigger. So in the two seasons in the USA, four teams of each one over a million quid here in the UK, Jules, Danny, the Danny Diet version, they seem to be playing for 50 pence pieces. It's it's well, I mean, I have to say the thing that surprises me about it is how stressful it is. I mean, game shows <laughs> always have game shows always have a level of stress about them, don't they? There always has to be they a have level built jeopardy. in jeopardy. Yes. Yeah. But not to be confused with the American game show Jeopardy of the same name, which at least is what it says on the tin. But there is something there is something that there always has to be this kind of, you know, is that your final answer level of kind of, you know, of of 
filling time. There's an excellent spoof of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on The Simpsons in a later episode called Me Wanty, where Mo goes on it. And uh, and they, they said, now, Mo, you have to, I asked you what this answer was, and you successfully stalled for 20 minutes. I'm asking <laughs> you to stall for another 35 now, and eventually ends up with him deciding he doesn't want to go for the full million, and they set fire to a wheelbarrow worth of worth of a five and a fifty or five hundred thousand pounds or something. So, so I I expect there to be a level of kind of edging game shows. But I saw the first episode of this. I I didn't watch when it was on last night, and watched as a as a team of four people that appeared to be work colleagues. Um, it's involved pushing balls down a wall and someone else answering quiz questions in a sound booth and then at the end the person that has gambled by pushing balls down the wall gets one amount and the person is then given a sort in the in the sound booth is given a contract and this whole thing basically ended in this in this essentially blameless unfortunate woman signing a contract for nearly 20 grand when the bloke that had pushed balls down a wall had effectively won them 80,000 pounds and uh, the, the look on this woman's face suggested she might not recover in that. Now, I noticed that whilst the men involved were rather muted, the older woman that was apparently their supervisor immediately kind of enveloped her in this sort of hug. So I, I left the programme hoping the supervisor would sort it out at work. But it was an insane level of stress. I mean, like, absolutely just bonkers level of stress that you know i i found it the most profoundly uncomfortable level of it, it wasn't what i wanted at nine o'clock on a saturday night put it that way but having said that the thing that kept me in it was the fact that i i i've just fallen for danny dyer's kind of charming shtick really there is probably you know again i just like the fact that he is his authentic self it was a ridiculous program but i, I just find him quite likable and also the fact that he he went on who do you think you are and is actually actually sort of royalty technically or related to royalty and that it freaks his nut out quote unquote i just I, i'm just a fan i just like him i've 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 come round to danny dyer i wasn't keen on him at first and now i just think well do you know what i'm glad that there are people that don't think they can do everything and there are people that are just happy to do what they do and do it well i found this uk version of the wall absolutely excruciating and i have to disagree with you i found danny dyer stumbling over his words <laughs> straining literally straining to read the auto cue actually bending forward to try and catch yes, the words i did wonder what was going on there I, I mean clearly as you say it can't be filmed on much of a budget if they don't have any budget for reshoots which is what it did look like absolutely remind me of the crossroads motel and um <laughs> swapping agonizing tortuous banter with a pre-recorded Angela Rippon and there presumably because Danny Dyer can't read out the questions his banter with the contestants was even worse if that was possible <laughs> it was all all right darling let's do this and the contenders had clearly been briefed to jump around in the most awkward mortifying way mm. Brits are no good at false frenzy and all of this, of course, in front of a presumably puzzled Polish audience. <laughs> yes, I wonder what they were <laughs> expecting, really. It was, that seemed very strange. 
very possibly the worst TV show I've ever endured. I mean, I, you know, I've watched it. I've obviously watched a lot more crud than you have, frankly, because I didn't <laughs> think that was too bad at all. Clearly, you're more discerning than me. But my main objection to it was wasn't the fact that it was terribly, terribly filmed. It was the fact they probably could have done it in 15 minutes if they'd done it at a normal pace. And also the fact that it just seems so it just seems so heartless that that poor woman's now got to walk mm. around being the woman that turned down 60 grand. And I suspect will probably be changing jobs soon because I wouldn't want to go into work every day and have to deal with that, frankly. So, uh, so yeah, I I found the tension of it harder to bear than the somewhat sort of threadbare production values. And you know, I just, I just, I just, think, I just found Daddy Die funny. I just thought it was quite funny. And you know, maybe because I'm just sick of following British political news all the time, and I just wanted something mindless. Maybe it's that. Maybe I'm just not an intellectual, unlike you, Terence. You you summarise it perfectly. It was a 15 minute show stretched to an hour, yeah. and that was one of its That's worst issue, aspects. It really, it's, and it's a little bit like. Any show that has to constantly tell you what's already happened is is either aware of the fact that it's not making an impact, and maybe they think there's a risk of people switching off or switching on and off. That's that's what's so interesting about it. There's that, but also any show that that keeps having time to tell you what has already happened hasn't got a lot to say, has it really? Not really. Now, thanks very much indeed for listening. Really appreciate it. As always, yes, we very much do. And thanks to Rona and Hilly as well. Excellent. To play us out, Jules, it's a throwback to that earlier Primal Scream track. Yes, it's a callback, as they would say, in the comedy writing world. Um, it 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 is. Uh, we're having foreshadowed it earlier on. So this this funny little B-side um, that also, I think, came... It was an album track as well from, from their, their second album. Um, Primal Scream, is, like, you, like you said, sort of started off with multiple false starts and, and you know... Bobby Gillespie, the main sort of singer, creative force, had ended up had well, he started off as the drummer in the Jesus and Mary chain, I think. So they'd had, like you said, they'd had a very kind of inauspicious start. And after their two albums, it didn't really seem like they were sort of going going anywhere really i don't think anybody had been surprised if they would have been dropped at the, at the end of that at the end of that second album but the dj andrew weatherall did a little bit of a remix of i'm i'm losing more than i'll ever have because he heard something in the last 30 seconds which i think viewers might have so listeners even might have might have recognized earlier of the horns at the end and he sort of mashed it up and took lots of different elements and we ended up with this which is now one of primal screams calling cards i think and, and one of those records that seem to define a generation really every time i play this whenever i did out i've finished sets with this and it is always welcomed like an old friend from the from the the, the peter fonda sample at the beginning to uh to just everything about it i think it's it's so clever as well we often this feature involves people sampling other people this involves a, a, effectively a band being sampled themselves if you see what i mean i know it was andrew weatherall that's behind it rather than primal screen but yes i like the fact that the sample from this band is from one of their earlier records this is primal scream and this is loaded just what is it that you want to do well, we want to be free we want to be free to to do what we want to do and we want to get loaded and we want to have a good time and that's what we're going to do away baby let's go we're going to have a good time we're going to have a party
just what is it that you want to do? I'm gonna get deep down, deep down, I said. I'm gonna get deep down, deep down. Listening to a Parish Council production.